Oh, good morning. Good to see everybody and happy Father's Day. Uh, I only brought two of my children today. Uh, my wife and my other kids had some obligations back at our church, so I'm kind of not quite soloing it, but I'm glad my two younger came with me. We've had a nice trip down. And it's good to see everybody here today. Um, when I think of uh, Father's Day, I have really positive memories. Uh, my father is still living. My mother went home to be with the Lord back in 1990. But my father is still living. And uh, I love him dearly. So I have great memories. As a matter of fact, going heading back right after this for a lunch with him. Um, but I know some people don't have great memories when they think of Father's Day. I mean, I, I don't know what your experience is. Some people, when they think of fathers, it's not a very, very happy time. For me, it's always been very, very positive. What I want to do this morning, though, you can take your very best father. I, I could take my dad. Uh, my dad, great father, but, but not a perfect man. He certainly had his flaw, flaws. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? I mean, on our best day, dads, we're flawed. What I want to do today is, is, is look at the ultimate father, who we reflect in a very pale way at best. And, and, and I, so I want to look at God, our Heavenly Father. I really appreciate some of the songs that we were singing here specifically that just zeroed in exactly on some things I want to talk about. And I actually want to run you to three passages today. Normally, I just go and camp out in one text. Today, I, I, want, to, I want to look at three different passages because these are three times in Scripture, there may be more, but these are three that came to my mind, where the Bible tells us God is much more than an earthly father. In other words, take the best earthly father you can come up with, and God is much more. Three passages which highlight that. So I'm going to look at those with you. The first one is in a familiar text over in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, the story that we typically call the prodigal son. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. And let, let me just give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. Um, and, and what we find in, in this text is that God graciously rejoices when, 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 when people repent and come home. Um, right at the end of Luke chapter 14, Jesus has given a very, very hard message. Um, he said some really tough stuff to the crowds. And Luke 14 ends by saying... Um, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. And when Luke 15 opens up, what you find is a bunch of the people in the culture that are typically out around the ends, the, the, the tax collectors, uh, the prostitutes, these individuals are coming near, Luke 15, 1 says, to hear Jesus. They like the message. They want to know more. Well, the religious establishment can't stand this. You know, they know the Bible says somewhere in Deuteronomy, doesn't it? Birds of a feather flock together or something, you know. Um, and so they can't understand why Jesus is hanging out with the rabble, these pe the people on the periphery of the culture. And so they murmur amongst themselves and they say, why is he doing this? And Jesus, rather than answering their comments directly, tells a series of three stories, doesn't he? And he talks about Somebody who loses a sheep. He goes out and finds that sheep. And when he finds that sheep, man, everybody rejoices. He tells another story about a woman who loses her dowry, a critical coin. 
I've never lost a dowry. I have lost my wallet many times, though. You know, you know what it's like, isn't it? I mean, when you find that, find, I, I don't know what you do. Normally, when I lose my wallet, I ask my wife. Like, why do I do that? She doesn't ever use it. You know what the strange thing is? She can normally figure out where it is. <laughs> but anyway, you have this woman. She loses her dowry, and she sweeps around the house. And when she finds it, man, she's so excited that she's got it. So two stories in a row. Something is lost, something is found, there's joy. Something is lost, something is found, there's joy. Then he tells the third story. For this third story, he slows down. If you were a cameraman, you're moving through the first stories like this. But for the third story, he zooms in. And he tells the story of a man who had two boys. Mark Twain said that this is the best short story in all of history. And, and in this story, you're, you're familiar with what happens. There's some shockers along the way because the, the, the younger boy comes to the father and says, Father, give me your, my inheritance. In, in antiquity, you don't get your inheritance until your father dies, typically. That's the way it works. So this was a really strange request. The boy was saying, Dad, you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. So give, me, give me my inheritance. And the, the strange thing about this passage is the father gives him a third of the inheritance. And the boy, as you know, runs out and lives high off the hog. I mean, he has more friends than you can possibly imagine until the money runs out. The money runs out, finds himself in a pig pen. A Jew in a pig pen, all alone with nothing. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 that as he's sitting in that pig pen, something clicks in his head. He says, you know, if, if I went home and if my dad just made me a day laborer, that's it. You know, guys that would come each day to the master and say, hey, can we work for you today? Yeah, I got something for you. That, that's all I'm asking for, just one day at a time. My dad's always been gracious to them. If he'll just let me be a day laborer, that's all I ask. And he comes up with a script, doesn't he? Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired slaves. Yeah, he's got the whole script, right? And he gets up and he heads home. The Bible tells us as that man was far off, his father sees him. Father, wearing this long gown, a nobleman of great wealth, sees his son from a distance. And the Bible says this older man runs to him. Now, how in the world would you do that? The only way to do that is pull up that gown, right? And takes off and he runs after the boy. Noblemen aren't supposed to do that. There's nothing honorable there. But this father doesn't care about honor. He cares about that boy. The Bible tells us he runs to that boy. And when he gets to that boy, the boy pulls out the script. Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and am no longer worthy to be your son. That's as far as he gets. The father wraps his arm around that boy and kisses him and sees one of his servants and says, man, let's have the biggest party you can possibly imagine. When you hear this story, folks, this is really the story of everybody in here. Because all of us, through Adam, really left home. Oh, there's some like the older brother who say they're at home, but they're not really at home. The older brother really wasn't at home. He never shared the heart of the father. 
But this boy ran away as far as he could go from God. He had hurt his father. He had humiliated him, dishonored him, done all those things. And when he so much as turns to come back, the father runs to him and rejoices over him. Isn't that the story of everybody in here who's become a Christian? You've breathed God's air. You've lived life. Your hearts continue to beat because He is gracious. And we've done our own thing and gone our own way and held our fist up against God and did what we're going to do. And one day, we turned and said, man, I'd love to come home. And when we did that, God runs to us and says, let's have a party. You see, no human father is that gracious, folks. This father, when his son turns, runs and wraps his arm around him and graciously allows him to come back. This text tells us God, our father, is greater than every earthly father. Because when we turn, when we look, when we come, He graciously forgives and accepts us. Isn't that great? He's more than any earthly father because He graciously receives us when we we repent. But secondly, I want you to notice something else. Flip back, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Typically, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And after giving the Lord's Prayer and then a parable, I want you to notice what happens here in verse 9. The Bible says this. So I say to you, keep speaking about prayer. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For Now listen to this. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will he give give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, not only is He more than the earthly fathers when it comes to His gracious reception of us, but this Heavenly Father always gives us what we need. In this text, or can you imagine this morning if I would have gotten up and sitting at the kitchen table and got my two girls with me right now, and said, hey guys, I'm going to make you some eggs today. Oh, great, Dad. And I kind of covered up the plate, and, and, then, and then just as they're ready to eat, they, they flipped it, right before they're ready to eat, they flipped it open, and they're sitting on um, the plate would be some spiders and scorpions. And I would just start chuckling and laughing. Ha, 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 What kind of, what would you think of me? I mean, worse than you think already. You know, you'd say that is downright sadistic to do that to somebody, to a child. You know what this text is saying? Look, even an earthly father, take just a real average guy. He won't do that kind of thing to his kid. 
Kid says, Dad, I'm really hungry. I, I, I like a piece of bread. He's not going to put a stone on his plate. And now, earthly fathers don't do that. And here's the point. If earthly fathers, who this text say in comparison to God, are evil, you see, how much more shall your Father in heaven, in this text, give the Holy Spirit to you? I mean, he's talking to the disciples. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet, has he? And Jesus is saying, you know what? There is something that's going to happen to you guys in light of my death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, which you can't possibly imagine. And I'm going to give you the greatest of all gifts. Not only am I going to die for you and rise from the grave and ascend in heaven where I can intercede for you, but I will give you of my spirit. I am giving you the finest of gifts because that's who I am. I'm God. I'm your father. Now in the parallel text in Matthew 7, it doesn't say he'll give his spirit. It says he'll give you good things. And here's what's really important. Have you ever wondered in your life why God seems to be holding out on us? Holding back? Not giving us something we think we need? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I have. I mean, there's times in my life where I say, there's something that I need, and God's not giving it to me. You know what this text tells me very clearly? Doug, that is never the case. He has already given you the greatest gift imaginable. He gave you His Son. He gave you His Spirit. And as Romans 8 says, if God has given you His Son, how will He not also with Him also give you all things? Now, qualifier, folks. It's not everything I want. It's everything I need. It's everything I need to be what He's designed me to be. And God says, I will never keep that away from you, Doug. Never. He doesn't always give me my want list. He always gives me His need list, though. It's a very important distinction. If your child falls and gets hurt, gets hurt, don't you run to that child? I mean, if we're at the pool this afternoon or tomorrow, one of my kids slip, fall in the pool and cut themselves in the way in the pool, get a brush burn. What do you think I'm going to do? I will run to them as quickly as I can because I'm their father. I love them. That's what you do. And every time, folks, you express love for your child like that, or you, you receive that kind of love from a parent, remember something. As much as parents do it, God does it far more than them. It's hard for me to remember so much sometimes. That God loves me that much. And so when I'm attempting to love my kids, it's, it's typically flawed. It's often mixed. And God is never that way. It is always perfect. It is always gracious. He honestly gives us everything we need. So when you think of God as Father, think of the one who graciously receives back the wayward son, the wayward daughter. Think of the God who gives us, who always gives us what we need. And thirdly, 
Let me have you turn to one other passage. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I love this text. I want to look with you for just a few minutes that remain at verses 5 to 13 in Hebrews chapter 12. For just a second, let me give you the context in Hebrews 12. Or in the book of Hebrews. You have... You have a whole group of Jewish people who are, who are oppressed and who are suffering. Some of which are thinking they're Jewish. And some of them are thinking maybe we should kind of throw in the towel and just go back to Judaism. That's where they're at. Now, that's probably not your temptation here. You're probably not sitting here today saying, you know, I'm thinking about going back to Judaism. It's probably not where you're at. But for many of us, there's times in our lives where we're thinking, I do feel like throwing in the towel. I, I, I do struggle with the Christian life sometimes. I, I, I'm having a hard time staying the course. Well, then this text is for you. I mean, your specific problem is different than theirs, but we all struggle with similar kinds of things. And so he's encouraging them through chapter 11 and chapter 12 and one of the things he points them to, and this is really, really good, is in verses 5 and following, he wants to point them again to our Heavenly Father. And I want you to watch this in the text, because once again, it's a how much more comparison. He's going to talk about earthly fathers in this passage. But when he talks about them, he's going to say, look, they're good, and praise the Lord we have them. But they can't compare to God. Okay? So, notice what the text says here in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by Him. For whom the Lord disciplines, He loves and punishes every son whom He receives. Um, when I say... Uh, when I say discipline to you, do you have positive or negative thoughts? First impression. Mine, mine are negative. You know, I discipline, I'm thinking of getting a spanking or, or something like that. Or, you know, or something sent to my room or, or something along those white lines. Now, and, and it's really, really important, as you know, in the Christian life to realize, is there corrective discipline in the scriptures where God is correcting us? No question about that. A absolutely. It is, it, is, it is part of what a God who loves does. But this text is not merely speaking of kind of a negative corrective discipline. It is talking about that. But it's also talking about what we might call a formative kind of positive discipline. It's um, when my children were young and they didn't know how to tie their shoes. When I sat them down on the couch, or my wife sat them down on the couch, we weren't putting them on the couch because they had done anything wrong. I wasn't saying, now sit in the couch and we're going to learn how to tie a shoe because, you know, you hit your sister or something. No, no. I mean, it's, it's formative. I'm merely saying, look, you've got to learn how to tie shoes. You can't be 18 years of age and have, having your roommate at college tie your shoe. You can't get into those kinds of things. So I want you to sit there and we're going to teach you how to tie your shoes. It's formative, isn't it? Formative discipline. And this text is talking about both kinds because for some of these believers in, in Hebrews, they haven't done anything wrong that they, had, that they weren't confessing. So that, that's, that's not the issue. So what he's saying is, it's, it's all of that. 
It's corrective. And it's formative. Okay. Well, what is it that this text tells us about discipline? It tells us three things. In verses 7 and 8, the Bible tells us that discipline is inevitable. Can't get away from it. This is what the Bible says. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The illustration I, that always comes to my mind when I think of this is the same one for whatever reason. Several years ago, when, when we lived smack in the middle of Lansdale, um, there was a really big apartment complex right across the street from us. And uh, a lot of really struggling family units in there, a lot of single-parent families and so forth. So we had, a, we had a really neat opportunity to develop relationships with people, and specifically their kids, and we would take their kids to church for, for children's activities, for like Awana. And I'll never forget, never forget. <laughs> one, uh, one Wednesday, um, we hopped into the van, we're ready to take off, and um, my son Matthew says, Hey, Dad, um, I saw Zach down at the gas station on the corner. I think you ought to go down and pick him up so we can take him to Awana's. <laughs> I said, oh yeah, and I'll get nailed for kidnapping. I said, Matthew, look, he's not my son. We invite him to come. If he, if he shows up, his parents want him to come and he shows up, I'll take him. If he doesn't show up, I don't touch him. He's not my boy. I, I'm not going to do that. Now, conversely, what if Matthew is down at the local gas station and it's time to go to Awana? I'm going down and he's getting in the car. Why? Because he's my boy. He's my child. And this text says, you know what? Both corrective and formative discipline are inevitable in your life, folks. So I hope that's not bad news. It's just true. God is constantly saying, I'm always up to something in your life. I'm always meddling in your life. Because you're my child. If you're straying from me, I will meddle to call you back. If you're walking with me, i got some things I want to refine in your life. I want to make you sharper. I want to give you that direction. God says, I always meddle with my kids. That's the way it works. We don't always like that. But to be a son, to be a daughter, to be a child is for God to always be directly involved in our lives. Think about it on the flip side, though. Isn't that an amazing thing? That the God of the universe is personally interested in everything that you say and that you do. So much so that He constantly is at work in your life. So this text tells us God's discipline is inevitable. It tells us something else. It tells us, look at verse 11 of this same passage. It tells us also that discipline is painful. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Um, 
my kids were real young, um, and there was a serious infraction, we would spank them, and um, to do that, we'd always use those glue sticks, you know what I mean? I don't know if you ever used a glue stick. What I liked about glue sticks, and what my kids didn't like, but what I did like about them is they would sting, but they weren't damaged, you know? So you could just, it was like a twig, you know, just, it was very, very effective. So sometimes I say, okay, up to dad's room, you know, we're going to have to deal with this matter, you know, corrective discipline. So they come up and they come in the room and I'd say, no, look, dad's going to have to spank you, going to have to bend over. And, and Now, in, in, in all of my years, six kids, I never, never had this experience. If you did, I would love to know about your parenting style because it would really help me. For me, it's too late because they're, they're all older now. But anyway, I never had one of my kids look at me and say, Hey, Dad, thanks so much for hitting me. Matter of fact, before I bend over, I'd like you to hit me three times instead of once. Because I want to remember and cherish this moment. I mean, I know it's nothing, but it's love from you to me. And when I go out of here, when I'm thinking about doing that thing again against you, I want this just to be ingrained in my mind. So I'll go ahead and do it five times now. Now, did you guys ever have that experience? No, no, no. My kids are cutting deals with me like crazy. I mean, you know, I mean, okay, I promise this, I won't do that, please. I mean, I mean, they're just, I mean, they're dealing and wheeling right there in front of me. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it is kind of funny. But you know what? I see myself doing the same thing. Don't you? I mean, it may be corrective. It may be formative. It's both. It's all those things. When God brings it into my life, I tend to wheel and deal and try to cut deals with God. And, you know, hey, God, look, if you stop this, I won't do that. And please, but, you know, I'm, I mean, I just, it's just coming out. It's flowing out of my mouth. I'm just all this stuff. And I don't know if God smiles. I don't know. But he looks at me and he says, Doug, you're not going to believe this for now. I know it's painful. And I know, I know you're not looking for this opportunity, but you need this. Because I love you, I'm going to have you do it. My, uh, I don't know, they must have gotten it from me, but my kids, none of them like to do the dishes. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't have a dishwasher. That doesn't impress them. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't, they, don't, they don't care about those things. But, you know, but... It's not, it's, it's not just the think finders, is it? I, I'm assuming it's almost every family. When we get up for, after we're done the meal, man, they just want to kind of... And you're, you're always saying, now look, before, before anybody leaves, we need somebody to do the floor, we need somebody to unload the dishwasher, load the, you know, the whole thing. And we try to, try to spell that whole thing out. And now one of the reasons I'm doing it is because I don't want my wife and I to have to stay, stay up and do it ourselves. Fair enough. So there is a self-serving, self-serving aspect to that. I, I, fair. But there's another thing there, isn't there? The other thing is, I want my children to become responsible. And I don't say, look, I want you to do the dishwasher because you did anything wrong. I'm just saying, I want you to grow up to be a responsible adult. Which means you have to do things sometimes that you just don't want to do. Now, once again, when I try to explain that to my kids, sometimes it just kind of goes over their heads. But isn't that why we do it? Or, or hopefully one of the reasons we do it? We have them do the lawn. We have them do dishes. We have them take out the trash. We have them clean the room. Why? Why? Because they've done something wrong? No, we just want them to grow up and become responsible adults. And God does the same thing in our lives, folks. 
And when we do what we do and what God brings these things in our lives, it's not because He's ever against us. He is always for us. Discipline is inevitable. Discipline is painful. But thirdly, this text tells us that discipline is always beneficial. Look, if you would, back at verse um, 9 and 10. Notice what he says. Furthermore, and once again, listen to the human Heavenly Father comparison. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more, see that, to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. I mean, you know, fathers do the best they can. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. I mean, I'm trying to make my kids responsible. So I, I give them chores and different responsibilities. Okay, that's why we do it. I want them to be a good citizen. I want them to be a good mate one day and all those kinds of things. God says, that's good, Doug. That's good. And that's what earthly fathers do. You keep doing it. Good job. But much more than that, is God who enters into his children's lives and brings painful experiences never to destroy only always to develop their spiritual lives so that they might share in his holiness do you see one day when you and I stand in the presence of God And we're with him for billions and trillions of years. How significant will a 70, 80, 90 year period of time be? It just gets so small, doesn't it? God says, look, let me do my work in that period. So that I can make you everything that I've designed you to be. For all eternity you will rejoice and relish in my glory. Do you see? Yes, discipline is inevitable. Bad news. And it's painful. Bad news. Good news? It's always beneficial because it's always about making you everything that God wants you to be. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel and Christianity? Everything that comes into our lives has a purpose, folks. Everything. Isn't that great? I mean, nothing ever happens in my life where God says, oh, good grief, what's, what, like, what's happening? Where'd that come from? <laughs> never, never. It always comes, if not from, through the hands of a gracious God. God may not stand behind an act, but he always stands over the act, doesn't he? And he's always up to something in the act. That's who he is. This Father's Day, dads, let's do our best to honor Christ. Let's be gracious, servant leaders, giving good things to our children, disciplining them in appropriate ways for their good. Let's do all those things. Ladies, 
children, just so you know, we're going to fail at those tasks. We're flawed. Our motives are mixed. And we often get it wrong. That's the truth. We'll do the best we can to the glory of God. But we're flawed men. But when we are seeking to be good fathers, or when you see your husband or your father seeking to be a good father, remember, it is a pale comparison to another father, our heavenly father, who is always much more than the earthly father. He always graciously receives us back. He always gives us good gifts. And he always disciplines us for our good and for his glory. So on Father's Day, don't forget the ultimate father. Let's pray.